0: Visit the Bedfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey,
1: everybody. Chris here. Um, just wanted to put something out this week for you guys. Uh, Aaron and I have been invited to do something pretty special uh, involving the Dick Wagner Remember the Child Fund. They uh, They are hiring us to do a special interview with somebody very important in rock and roll history in Florida. I can't say just yet, but uh, maybe even by the time you hear this, you might know. Um, but yeah, but in honor of working with them again, because as you guys remember Dick Wagner was a real good friend of ours before he passed. And, um, his, some of his interviews that he did with us are some of the, the, the favorites of the charity. So we wanted to thank Susan Michelson for reaching out to us. Um, helping us get to Florida and doing a special interview this weekend. And we didn't want to leave you hanging, so we, we've we rarely done reruns, but we thought we would do one here because it seemed fitting. One of the most popular episodes we've ever done was the Albums Unleashed with Dick Wagner for Alice Cooper's Dada. And if you've listened to this before, I hope you'll listen to it again and kind of uh, get re-familiarized with the story. If you're new to it and you're a newer listener, I hope you enjoy this. This was the very first Albums Unleashed that we did so it was kind of an experiment at the time. We're just gonna let it roll just the way it came out originally. I hope you like it, and we'll see you next week. The following is a special presentation of the Decibel Geek Podcast. Enough,
0: enough, enough, enough.
1: The scenes look at some of your favorite records, the stories behind the songwriting, as well as the recording circumstances, broken down for you and explained by a key player in the album's creation.
0: Track by track, memory by memory, this is Albums Unleashed.
2: Alice Cooper's Dada with special guest Dick Wagner.
3: Wow. With an intro like that, you know this is going to be fun today. Welcome back, everybody. Once again, this is the Decibel Geek Podcast. I'm Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak. How's it going, my friend?
1: doing great really excited to uh, share this new thing we're doing with everybody
3: yeah we we always are talking about new ideas and different things we can do you know and and we like to do the year in reviews and we like to do radio sucks radio shows but we're always looking to expand and and try to take new perspectives on hard rock and heavy metal and i think we're on to something here today
1: yeah and i, I do want to quickly mention on the uh, facebook.com slash decibel geek page we had a lot of really good feedback i asked for feedback just in general on the show and yeah. um thank you guys a lot that. of a lot of interesting stuff good and bad and we want to hear it all and we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we're 134 episodes in and we're trying something brand new. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is a, a thing we're going to do called Albums Unleashed. And this is the first installment of that. And uh, we have more planned for this year. And basically, what it is, is we're going to take an album that either is a, it's a classic legendary album or it could be an album that's kind of an undiscovered gem. And th- in this case, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, this album did not do great um, sales wise when it came out because it, it kind of came out in a lost era. This is Alice Cooper's Dada. And um, but it's become kind of a cult favorite among uh, listeners over the years, especially people like me who just got into Alice in the past few years.
3: Right. And the thing about this album is it's like you say, it's kind of a lost treasure where a lot of people don't really talk about it. And I think that's the, the idea behind why we chose this one. Yeah. And because we had a chance, we talked to Dick Wagner in the past and he was such a great guy. And basically, this whole thing is just an excuse to get Dick Wagner back on the show.
1: Sure. He came, <laughs> he, uh, he, he came into Nashville about a, a little over a month ago. And um, when I knew he was coming to town first... I was excited to meet him finally in person and see him perform live. And um, if you listen to the bonus track that come out later this week, we go into that. Yeah. Um, but uh, when he when he it was announced that he was coming, I, was, I had the, I had been thinking about this album's unleashed idea for a while, and I was like, he's the the perfect guy to kick, to kick this off with. And I right. asked him, and I was like, you want to do Dada? And he said yes. Um, and it went great. And um, he was you know more than forthcoming. So you're going to hear like a lot of ambient noise because we were actually meeting in a hotel lobby to do right. this. Um, but you can hear everything nice and clear. That's kind of cool, though. I always
3: like that ambiance when we we're doing interviews.
1: Right. And, um, you know, and the, the, another reason to do this one is uh, the first one is there's not a lot known about this album. You know, Alice Cooper himself has said in many interviews, this is kind of his blackout period. And he doesn't remember even making this album.
3: Right. Yeah, so, I've read that.
1: So, you know, it, of all, and Bob Ezrin is is legendarily known as... Uh, He was going through some issues, too, at this time, and so was Dick, but I think Dick probably has the most lucid memory of making this record.
3: Right, and that speaks for why this album is the way it is.
1: Yeah, it's a classic album, and uh, so we've got a lot to get to. Um, Before we get into that... Not going to have time to do the Geeks of the Week this week, the people that retweeted and shared the 420 episode. um, A lot of you did, and I will go ahead and tell you that we will mention all of those next week. And if you want to be Geek of the Week next week, this is how we do it if you're a first-time listener. If you like this episode and you want to help spread the word about the show and help, help us build our listenership, because it's all you guys that do it, Um, just either share on Facebook, the link to this episode or, uh, retweet the link on Twitter. Right. And, um, that's basically, it's word of mouth. We're trying to do this grassroots style and we get more listeners every week when you guys do it. It really does not go unnoticed. We really appreciate it. So
3: if you do, did it last week and you also do it this week, you're all going to get mentioned next week. You will. Awesome. Awesome. Along with that, you mentioned the uh, SoundCloud, the bonus track that we do. You know, that's going to be coming out. We took a little extra time with Dick Wagner to talk about the show he put on here in Nashville. The only way you're getting invited to that is to be involved in the conversation at Facebook. So join up with us on Facebook. Also check out our website, www.decibelgeek.com. You can do all kinds of stuff there. Order your Decibel Geek shirt, tip your DJs. Go to uh, Amazon or order the Dada album on Amazon. You're going to want to after this is over. Yeah, just go through through our link on the website because you're going to help us keep the lights on here and keep this show going on for free. While you're there, you're going to find all kinds of great articles, and it's just an awesome website. You're going to love it,
1: and absolutely. And um, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, I hope this will also lead you to buy Dick's book. It's called "Not Only Women Bleed," and it's an it's an excellent memoir.
3: Indeed, and like we said, go go through the link on the Decibel Geek website and uh, order the book, order the CD,
1: order and all this stuff. Absolutely, buy a car, buy yeah. a, buy an airplane. Absolutely, and we get a kickback from that. Um, and just real quick, some business. Um, We mentioned, we we go over a review I found on the internet of of Dada where somebody had kind of formulated their own theories on what the album meant. Yeah. Um, And I want to give credit where that's due. Yeah, for sure. It was written on a site called ultimate-guitar.com, and I'll put the link in the show notes, but... It was just written by a person with the username MadPaperBoy89.
3: And you can tell by this article, and the, the reason why we used it is because this guy is a true passionate Alice Cooper fan.
1: Yeah, and it was written all the way back in January 2008, so if if you are the person that wrote this, um, get in touch with us, because we want to give you full credit, because it's a really interesting theory, and you'll enjoy Dick's reactions to the theories. Yeah, So um,
3: as will everybody else.
1: Links to all of this stuff, hack can order a t-shirt, all that stuff, so we got a lot to get to, so let's get to our talk with Dick Wagner. This is Dada, Albums Unleashed. Let's do it.
2: Uh, I got to talk to him a bit. Um, He's doing great. I don't know if he even remembers the Dada album because it was done under such strange circumstances.
1: Yeah, and that's why we wanted to talk to you about this because you're basically the principal songwriter on this album.
2: I am, and, and I play guitar and bass.
1: Okay, and so kind of take us back to how this got this album got going because from what I remember reading, um, Alice was in Arizona and was really not interested in doing an album at the time, and you had to didn't Ezrin basically send you down there to get him to come up to Toronto for this?
2: That's right. That's right. So. He was supposed to make one more album for Warner Brothers, and so it was the last album for Warner Brothers, and he was not going. He and Ezra were having a kind of a fallout about whether he would record in Toronto or whether they would come down to Phoenix and record down there. Yeah. Bob wanted him to be in Toronto. Bob didn't want to leave his family and his surroundings. Alice didn't want to leave his family and his surroundings. There was no material written yet, and so they were at a crossroads there, and Warner Brothers needed one more album. So Bob called me up, and he said, uh, look, will you go to Phoenix and try to get Alice to write and get him to commit to coming to Toronto to record? Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, I'll do it. I think I was living in... Uh, I where I was living at the time. Might have been New York, I'm not sure, but I went, I went to Phoenix and went to Allison's house and I stayed there with him and every day I'd bring out the guitar and the keyboard and I'd start writing and I started coming up with titles and I started thinking about this is his last Warner Brothers album so let's have a character called Formerly Warner mm-hmm. so that's where that comes yeah. from yeah you know, <laughs> when you former, said that to me earlier Formerly Warner like Brothers right because you know? yeah. he's about to be done with that so he said, this is going to be an album about leaving Warner Brothers You know, in some way Right So I came up with this title And a couple of Other titles from this album And started writing songs And Alice Wasn't doing anything He was just I don't know if he was like Immobile at the time Or Really seriously not interested But He finally came out of vegetation And came into the living room Where I was writing And started writing with me and so the songs started to roll out, and uh, we created a few songs. In the meantime, M- Alice's manager uh, came up with 90 grand from someone, uh, from Warner Brothers maybe, I don't know, but to entice Alice to go ahead and make this record. Yeah? So he got the money, I got him starting writing songs, and together he and I went to Toronto. And it was the winter time in Toronto. It's unpleasant in the winter time in Toronto.
3: Especially coming from Arizona. Yeah, yeah, that's a shock.
2: Exactly, coming up, you know, laying by the pool, right? All that. So we go to Toronto and we rent this uh, two-bedroom suite. And, and I think it was in the Hilton Hotel. So he had one room and I had another, and there was a living room in between, where we could get together and do a little bit of writing. So we would write a song. And then the next day we recorded. But we were really getting drunk every night. I mean, just drinking all this vodka, vodka, vodka.
1: So both of you were in pretty excessive well, um, on the, the drinking at that I'm
2: point. telling you, I, I wasn't. I'm not a drinker at all. I still don't drink. Uh-huh. But I was trying to go along with the program here. Yeah. Keep, yeah. You know, keep him happy and keep him writing. And it was worth it.
1: So was he very temperamental at this point? Like, as far no. as getting him to work on
0: things?
2: No, not at all. He's always very, very cool about that, because he, he likes to write, too. Yeah. And uh, that was the first time that Alice and I spent time really talking about his life, my life, you know, like becoming really close friends. friends. Mm-hmm. Through a lot of revelations, which, which I won't go into here, but uh, we got to know each other much more. We're always very successful at writing because it just comes so naturally. And we think alike, and we have the same kind of humor. And so we've we got a bunch of songs, finished, recorded. We'd go down the next day, go to the studio, record. When finish, we'd go back to the hotel and go down to the dining uh, lounge area where we'd have dinner. And then uh, usually, every night, we'd go over to the piano. i like play piano, and he and I would sing You know, some of the hits or whatever. we. Would think of to entertain all the people in the the
3: lounge. So, the people in the lounge had no idea
2: that they were in what
3: they were in for when they were hanging out in there. No. (laughs) Was there a lot of people there that had like no idea who you guys even were?
2: Oh, no, I think pretty much everybody knows Alice Cooper. His face is very recognizable. Right. They don't know me from Adam, but they're learning to. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, we go play the piano and sing. It was great. People responded. They loved it. We'd do that. We'd drink. We'd sing. We'd play. Then we'd go upstairs to the suite and write. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was working. The album was working. At this diner, we would There were two waitresses. One a tall, blonde, beautiful blonde. One a tall, redhead, beautiful redhead. And they wore these black dresses that were slid up the side all the way up through their ass <laughs> and they, were, they, they would wait on us they were very lovely one night we're back at the hotel upstairs and we were going to write a song about these two girls so the concept uh, Scarlet and Sheba mm-hmm. right. came up the blonde was Sheba and Scarlet was the red so we, wrote, we were writing the song we wrote the song and then it was time to drink heavily, and then go to bed. So at like 10 o'clock in the morning, there's a knock on the door of the uh, the suite. And I heard the knocking. and I got out, went to the front door, opened it up, and here were the two girls mm-hmm. standing there. It was 10 o'clock in the morning. Each one of them holding a piece of black forest food. And they said, do you want a piece? <laughs> <laughs>
1: there's some temptation for it. And
2: I'm going you. like... There's a double entendre there. Yeah. So I said, come on in. Come on in. And Alice come out of his room and sat the girls down and said, listen, we wrote a song about you. <laughs> You're immortalized. <laughs> Singing for me. and we did. And Scarlet and Sheba from that album. Yeah, and it's really about the uh, dominatrix kind of sex. And, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, you tell from the lyrics for sure. And the girls were like, "Oh my god, wow!" So were they flattered they like, or mortified? It or? <laughs> I think they were mortified. <laughs> they were mortified, but they were flattered. By sure. That. Yeah. Oh yeah. But they they came there to get laid, and they didn't get laid. Wow
3: but they got a song written about them. They got a song song?
2: written about them, you know, so... um, No, the policy was, you know, we we didn't didn't really have women coming around to disturb the writing and create problems, and Alice was married at the time. I mean, married at the time, still is. Right. But uh, the same girl, Cheryl, Mm -hmm. and he wasn't going to do anything with these girls. Anyway, me might have (laughs) (laughs) but we were basically just being good guys and and writing writing a song about these girls which we recorded that day Mm -hmm. and uh so that's part of the Donna M to the but, Scarlet Sheba story.
1: That's one of my favorite uh, songs on the record. Yeah, I kind of love the the Middle Eastern vibe you yeah. put in on that. Where did that Where did that sound come from?
2: been I mean, created something. Now you were mentioning a synthesizer You
1: know, You mentioned Alice and Bob were having a stalemate about where they wanted to record this thing. Did. Did that boil over into the studio? Were they not getting along? While no, was no, they were, they, they were fine. They were? Okay.
2: Once we got to Toronto and got locked in the fact that we were doing it, there was no problem. Good. Okay. no problem. It was always a creative process. All right. So it's all we would do is creating. I was doing a little more on the production side on this record, and uh, I played all the guitars and I played bass on the record. Mm-hmm. So I, I did quite a bit on this record, including write, writing it. And uh, I love the songs of Dada. I mean, I I think that they're just really uh, experimental and beautiful, and they have no purpose in life commercially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell that for sure. There's nothing. We didn't make any attempts to like write a hit song or or do any of that. It was just this concept of the old man in the attic.
3: That's what I was gonna say because at that time, you know, Bob Ezrin's pretty known for like coming, getting together with bands and doing these concept albums, like albums that tell a whole story yeah. within it. You know, like The Wall, like uh, Music from the Elder from Kiss, and this album Dada, seems to really have some kind of like a theme to it, where it's like a concept album. Does this does it, it all fit it together?
2: Tell a story? More or less, I think it. Yeah, it does. You know, it really, it's, it's all about. The, um all from the idea of being formerly with Warner Brothers. This was the slap in the face for Warner Brothers, but with this character in the attic.
3: So you guys felt like, you know, since you really didn't give two shits about what Warner Brothers thought about you at this point, that you're free to do pretty much whatever you want, right? Oh, yeah,
2: and we did. It was a very loose album in the sense that it had no hits. It had no attempt to be successful. It was just the music we wanted to make every day. Every yeah,
1: because Warner didn't get behind it at all promotion-wise. They just buried it, basically.
2: That was it. That was the last album. Yeah, it was right. over. So
1: you guys kind of knew when you were making it they're not going to push this anyway,
2: right? Well, we kind of figured they wouldn't.
1: Right, right. So, um, yeah, because I was going to ask you about the theme of it because there's a lot of interesting theories out there about the concept of this album
2: mm-hmm. because
1: Alice hasn't talked at length about it. And there's
2: What, what, what are the, uh, well, there's, the theories? Uh,
1: there's one I brought. This guy wrote a very long thing about... What he thought each song meant. And I'm not going to read the entire thing verbatim. Let
2: me read it. Let well, me. let's see. I don't have my glasses we well,
1: I mean, I'll tell you. It's like he says, the all right, the opening track, Dada, he says, the creeping opening with Bob Ezrin talking to Alice, apparently pretending to be a psychologist, asking about the man's son, Sonny. Right. When he applies it, Sonny is the man's daughter, showing the dehumanizational tactics his dad uses to break Sonny emotionally.
2: That's pretty close. Yeah, is it?
1: Yeah. I think this guy, if this isn't true, it's a great concept if you didn't come up with it. Well, I think
2: that that's pretty much what it was. Well,
1: the, th- the the main theory he had was this is basically a story of a, a of a mentally disturbed person with multiple personalities and the songs kind of represent these different personalities.
2: Yeah, I guess maybe you could say that too. Right? So, um, not so much being a multiple personality but being completely mixed up About who he was Right He didn't know If he was the daughter Or the son I mean he, he wasn't sure mm-hmm. Neither was the father The old man They didn't quite know What, what gender he was or, and, and that's really The story of Alice Cooper mm-hmm. right. have, Whether he's a woman Or a girl or, or a man When he first started out you know Yeah he,
1: the androgynous thing Right the yeah. androgynous thing So Right Well and then uh, Like uh, one song That's interesting Is Enough's Enough yeah. um, Longest song the uh, it's it's kind of a it sounds like a lighthearted song musically.
2: Yeah, it's upbeat. But the yeah.
1: subject matter is very stark in contrast. Yeah. You know, because about a man basically whoring his child out. Isn't is that? I mean, well,
2: not that really. He's he's cruel to his son. Is that what it yeah. is? Yeah.
1: Because I'm talking about his mother dying and and stuff like that. Yeah. It's what his
2: dad did to his mother. Okay. You know, so the son is reflecting on. What the dad did to the mother and therefore to him, and right enough, enough's enough, you know, I've had enough of your dad, so
1: yeah, because like the line, go fuck and fuck fucking, and make a buck. I mean, like, yeah. some people are like, is that child prostitution or, or what does that mean? You know, that's a
2: yeah, I guess it could be, it wasn't really thought of that way, and oh. I think that really, really the words are go buck and buck and make a buck. Gotcha. Go fuck! Okay. Yeah, you know, but it sounds like Buck. Yeah, because yeah. it does sound like Because I'm
1: thinking for 1983, that's pretty damn controversial. Well, yeah, you know? <laughs> go no, so. fuck and
2: fuck and make a Buck. No, yeah, I think it was Buck. and He was a little cowboy, so right. go Buck and Buck and make a Buck. Right, uh-huh. I got That was you. Dad's command to him, to go off and, you know, do whatever and make a dollar, whatever. Right, right. And then on but, but it's interpreted as fuck and fuck, and so it's, you know, child prostitution. So I got that's, it wasn't meant that way it was misinterpreted hmm. okay misinterpreted
1: so I'm glad we have you here to clear up some of this stuff yeah, okay, okay yeah. so for formerly warmer which you've already explained what that behind that this guy's theory because I think you'll want to hear this he says again we have the father's perspective describing the family secret that his brother is some kind of fa- some kind of hideous freak locked in an attic and he's sound he hears through the walls like an out of tune piano slowly driving him crazy
3: no not really not
1: really <laughs> okay is that
3: is that character that's in the attic, you know, and, and saying that, you know, based on the idea that this is a character driven, you know, these songs are very character driven. Yeah. Is that supposed to be the same guy from Welcome to My Nightmare? Like, like the one in the attic? Is that Steven?
2: Is there a tie in there? Well it could be. I mean, you know I mean you could look at it that way, but I don't think it was meant that way. I mean, once again this started from me sitting there and getting this idea of Formerly Warmer as being Formerly Warner Brothers. Right. You know, so so it starts from that. And then Alice actually made it a character in The Attic. So. Okay. Formerly Warmer pulls up the covers to hide in his wrinkled bed. No dreams go in no dreams go out When I first started writing it, I had no idea it was going to be a character in the attic. Mm-hmm. It was just a song title to get, us, get the whole thing rolling. Mm-hmm. And you hear it in the, uh, in the, the uh, interaction between Bob and Alice on the introduction. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the psychiatrist is talking to the guy and he has no idea who he is. Whether his son is a male or female, he, he's seriously whacked.
3: Right. Because, like you said, you know, he says, you know, I
2: have a son. No, you don't. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that. You, know, you have a daughter. Yeah. Yeah. So, this is the guy in the attic, and he's he's obviously a musician. He plays this old piano thing. Mm-hmm. He's, he has a hole in his head for some reason. I forget what that's about.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, well, you mentioned the on the, the opening track, I gotta say, I didn't hear this album when I was a child when this came out. And it's a good thing I didn't, because that's one of the scariest sounding things, is that opening track. Oh. And what is it what is causing that ricochet sound on that song, Without the, the reverberating sound that like the slamming sound on what did, what what did you guys do to make that sound?
2: You know, I don't remember how, how that happened. I mean, was that something Ezra had Pretty much put yeah, together. It's, it's Ezra's thing, probably. Yeah. yeah.
1: And that's his daughter yeah. doing the dad. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah.
2: It.
1: He loves to get his kids involved in his albums. He so. always does. <laughs> yeah? yeah. You
2: know, to me, it's that's very self-indulgent, but Bob, you did a great job.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, for people that don't know, what is it like to work to work on an album with
2: him? It's a, a mixed blessing. I mean, I love the guy. He's a great producer. Um, We've had our conflicts, but at the same time, you know, we shared a great history. And and he calls me the guy he is most called upon, musician during the 70s and 80s. And that's true. He relied on me for a lot of things, from arranging to songwriting to guitar playing to just being a general part of the direction of where things went. He's very, uh, what would you call it, um, dominant. In the studio, he wants everything under his control. Right, and his control methods with me a few times were a, a little excessive. But
1: mm-hmm. we talking like lots of takes on certain things till he got it the way he wanted it.
2: No, I'm just uh, attitudes. Right, do it my way, uh, you know,
3: or well, that's it. Yeah, it seems like
2: you know, and and you don't tell me to do it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean. I'm very much an individual, and I've got my own feelings about my songs, and um, some of the songs were complete, and things were added, not that they're bad, they're good, but, you know, I always came to the table with a lot of music, right? and uh, I think I, I got a lot of it in there. Yeah. Seems like Bob has like a picture
3: or something and, and his vision and he's unwavering from that. It's like this is what I picture, well, this what is the way it has to you be. Got,
2: you got Alice Cooper who has vision. Right. right. You have Bob Ezrin who has vision. Mm-hmm. Have and you have me who yeah. has vision. So it's a lot. Making those visions come together into one thing. Yeah. Isn't often easy. Right. It takes a lot of work. And, and some conflict struggles. comes along with it. There's conflict with it, but you have to have conflict conflict resolution right you know and so we always tried to find a way mm-hmm. and we always did right you know so there's no hard feelings about anything
1: well the results speak for themselves yeah right? and,
2: and the results speak for themselves I mean a lot of these records I wish had sold more yeah just for me not for the money but for so people could hear some of this music well it's the
1: art you want, to, you want people to because hear the there's, some, there's
2: some you know if you dig down into some of these records there's some really great stuff absolutely oh yeah yeah and uh, I think that's kind of cool that's,
3: what, that's basically what we're doing here today sure it's been many many years since this album's came out But, you know, that's what we try to do when we're talking about, you know, these albums. We're talking to guys like yourself and say, hey, you know, that might have been quite a while ago. But these albums, if you put it on for the first time, it's still brand new to you. You know, you you owe it to yourself to check it out. And we want to bring more information about some of these lost gems that, you know, when people talk about Alice Cooper, you know, a lot of times they don't bring up the Dada album. You know, because it's kind of lost in in the discography a little bit. It's
2: down there. It's not... The most popular or the biggest w- seller, and but it's got a certain genius to it. That, yeah, uh,
1: yeah, and I will say it's it's becoming a cult favorite because yeah. uh, if you read online, I, people that are discovering Alice just now saying, "I just found that out, and it's amazing," you know, because yeah. uh, people are, are starting to finally embrace it. It is amazing. You know, it's an amazing record, and it come it came out at a time where it definitely does not sound like a 1983 album. I mean, yeah. I don't know what era it sounds, but it's got its own sound to it. It has no uh, era. You know? I don't no. think it
2: has
3: any era involved in it. No, I mean, you can't even wasn't... really pin it down to a genre. Even you can't say this no. is a hard rock album or this is this no, or this it is that. I mean, you can't no. pick, you can't pin it down.
2: It's like it's like a, the Dada era. It's just there and it's real and it stands on its own. It has no. It's ageless. I think that record has no age to it. Yeah, I agree. You know, every time I hear it, it's like, wow, we did that.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it yeah. amazes me. It stands out from the pack, especially from the other albums, like the three that came before it. Like you know, flush the fashion, zipper catch a skin, and special forces all had a certain yeah cohesiveness. This zipper stands Catcher out though. Zipper catch skin
2: those. had a had a cocaine overdraft on it. it yeah, it was a high speed record. Right. This one settled into something great.
1: It's it's almost like an avant garde. Type thing you know, it's like it's it, yeah, so edgy, it's like it's art way, rock. It's to put
3: it. Yeah. Is, is that where the title comes from? Dada. Dada? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Who comes? Who came up with that idea? With that the name? I thing.
3: think Alice Cooper. He
1: did. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that was
3: to tie in with the art form yeah. of being right. abstract. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah. it's perfect title for an album like that because yeah. that's yeah. really what it is. Yeah. It's it's Dada You know you. Can't pin down that kind of art and say this right. is a certain kind of art, right. it's so that, far that, out there and different, yeah. It applies to and you this look perfectly. At that cover,
2: whoever came up with that cover is perfect. Yeah. I was
3: gonna ask you about that because I look at the cover and you know that looks like Alice right there, it, right? Is, it, that, a, it, is it, it, that
2: you sitting next to him? Is no, that no, no, that's not me because I didn't think it, it both really both, looked like you were trying to Alice figure out who the other oh, they're both oh, Alice, both that's, the, that's the two characters. Yeah.
1: It's a it's, it's quite a, a piece of artwork, it is beautiful,
2: yeah, yeah, it really is.
1: He wants you to sign that before you leave. Okay, um, let me do that
2: now. Okay. You, got, you have a pen? Nah, we'll have to find a pen. We'll get one, I had one, one but I lost it. All right. Please. Then I'll sign it.
1: But um, track four, No Man's Land. Um, Love this song. The, yeah. the opening line is genius. <laughs> I know. Got a, a job as a got Santa a at a mall in Atlanta.
2: Right. Not for any talent, but because I was the only one the suit would fit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I got a job in Atlanta in a mall playing Santa because
2: I was the only one it's way out of time it's uh, it's not an ordinary chorus verse thing it's just that line it just goes on longer than it should Right. And, but it, it ends is just uh, that line makes me fucking cry yeah it's just so good.
3: It is. It's a great song. Yeah, it's song it's got a different you're right, it's got a different kind of flow to it than than a normal song that you would think. Yeah, it it's does, just it makes... it's like it's off by a little bit, but that's kinda of what makes it great. It is that's
2: exactly right. <laughs>
1: Now, who, who comes up with the idea of this mall Santa in Atlanta? Is that Alice? Alice Cooper. Uh, only Alice Cooper would come up with that. That's right. I mean, it's, it's, That's the genius it's of genius. Alice.
2: He comes up with things that are just otherworldly. And the,
1: the guy that had the interesting multiple personality theory, he, he makes some good points on this because he brings up the line, She didn't notice I was thin with a delicate chin, nor the softness of my skin, nor the scent of my other personalities. She didn't see through my disguise. Didn't see it in my eyes. She was in for a surprise when she discovered my emotional plurality.
2: The plurality. That's so that's an interesting. Oh, that's great. Thing yeah. There, you know? yeah, He was a multiple personality there.
1: Right, and there, she'd have to learn to love all four of me. I mean, that's awesome. It's, it's just genius lyric writing, you know. And um, and musically, it's great. You had those backup singers on the on the yeah. chorus part, yeah. you know? yeah. almost like a, almost a Motown ish type right. thing, you know. Right. So yeah, so um, your special memories of recording. to
2: Steel yeah. Man. <laughs> yeah, I, it was just a, that was a fun song. Yeah, it is. I, I loved recording that song. I think it could have been actually recorded better. Oh really? Yeah, I, I would like to have the track be a little more heavy rock right a little more
1: yeah it does come off a little bit more poppish
2: yeah
3: it's a little bit more and you can tell by listening to it it would have lended itself pretty good to be you know
2: a little bit heavier a little crunchier with the guitars yeah, yeah. Had heavier guitars
1: that could call for a cover version right
2: sure it'd be very interesting if anyone would ever cover something like that yeah
1: yeah and then uh, so dyslexia is next and, uh, that
2: is the strangest song. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure.
1: It really stands out from the back.
2: But that, that was the, the whole foundation for that song was Graham Shaw and his synthesizers. It started with that feel and, that, and developed into uh, the song it is. But Graham was like new to the writing team, you said, Right. And so his input was different. And... Uh, I think it's good too But the song does not move me In the same way Right What's it's clever Right Is this love Or dyslexia yeah. Right It's, it's, That's it's a clever only, line It's mildly clever
1: Right And it's, it, this is the only song That I can hear a little bit Of 1983 Because the synthesizer yeah, yeah, Was very exactly, in
2: vogue at that time. Right And he did those kind of rhythms And
1: This is a very self-contained album because it's basically you, Bob, Alice, and then this guy chiming right. in a little bit. Right. But you guys were the main people running this show, right. Right. so maybe that's why it has such a, a stand, such an interesting sound because there's there's not too many cooks in the kitchen on this one, right. you know. Um, so then, was we mentioned Scarlet and Sheba, which I I do not understand. I don't understand how any of these songs haven't been played live by Alice. This one in particular would really yeah. benefit from like a heavy live rendition. Oh yeah, this song could really kick ass live. It
2: could really kick ass, yeah.
1: Yeah, because it's, it's the drumming is great. And uh, mm-hmm. while we're on the drumming, this was kind of using like uh, computerized drumming and then live drumming on top. Is that right? How
2: you did it? Well, we did. It's the Fairlight mm-hmm. um, synthesizer, and uh, we did a lot of the basic tracks with that. And then brought in, I forget even who played drums, but we brought in drummers to play mm-hmm. live over the top of it, which a lot of people do today. Right. Do the synthesizer tracks, play live drums over the top, and you get the combination of the two. Yeah. You know, because kids today, if you're making a record, they want things to be quantized, and in time, they all have to feel perfect.
1: Yes, yeah, and it's... it's it's almost sterile now. it's sterile it's for me, I mean yeah, there's no raw emotion. but
2: when you add the live drums then you then you pick up the live feel mm-hmm. along with the synthesizer, so it's good to use the both
1: yeah that did that gave it its own sound but
2: you know, all this pop music that is strictly synthesized and quantized and in time it's too perfect I mean yeah it sounds yeah. good if you're just listening for melodies and stuff, but right. Uh, or if you just want a straight pulse that is perfect. Mm-hmm. But bands don't play perfect. Well,
1: rock and yeah. roll isn't about that. No, it yeah, it's, isn't about that. It's almost perfect. what's not perfect is what makes it great. Exactly. Well, And it
2: does in every track that, you know, because yeah. you find mistakes and you find little things in records that actually make the record feel right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's
3: more personalized that
2: way. Yeah. yeah so you go. don't
3: feel like you just bought this album out of a vending
2: machine. I just did a show last night in, in Nashville and uh, you guys were at the show yeah so, I mean, it was, we so, had, so, had a know, great time you know I mean, it certainly was far from perfect but we only had two days of rehearsal you I couldn't mean, tell yeah you yeah. <laughs> would never be able to these know. guys are they're a great band I would love to take them back to Phoenix with me and them be my band oh yeah but they, they play with Pat Travers most of the time and uh, in the two days I, I arrived at the first rehearsal and they'd already rehearsed and they'd already had it ready yeah so I, I had very little to do except learn how to play again well that's good Nashville musicians for you yeah yeah so I threw a couple curves at them and uh, by the time we finally rehearsed on the second day they, it sounded fantastic and then when we hit it live it got lost a little bit like I hope it was Drown In My Own Tears the Ray Charles song yeah mm-hmm. I love it the way it's supposed to be played was not the way it was played because they got ahead of it it's like it's supposed to be this long and they were playing it in halves you know it's hard to explain the chords were falling in the wrong place and I was like mortified first and then I just continued on and tried to bring it back in and it mm-hmm. finally got brought back in where it belongs yeah I could tell that I could yeah. tell that when the song
3: first started it seemed like the, it was what, cool. the leads you were laying in were out
1: of sync just a little bit
3: they but were, then you they brought, were it back in.
2: I brought it back in I brought it around well you have to do that I mean, you gotta know how to do that but um
1: well it takes a pro to be able to recover like that too Though. well
2: you know I'm a pro I've been doing this quite a few years yeah so
1: yeah it was a it was a fun night um to get back to Dada um the Scarlet and Sheba thing, I, that was one of my favorite stories in the book. I, mean, uh-huh. I I got a good laugh out of reading about that. Oh, good, good. And um, so then, next is probably my favorite, this is probably my favorite song on the album because I just love how clever it is, and that's I Love America.
2: Fantastic.
1: We, we did a show about, like, patriotic songs last uh-huh. year, and I, I ended the show with that song. <laughs> Great. Because I was like, and the... All the pop culture references in it are yeah. just, are hilarious. Yeah, they great. And it, it, that brought me back to my childhood. I was talking to like, watching the A-Team on Tuesday nights. And, right, right. and I was like, wow, I remember that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. But uh, some of the funniest lyrics on the album, that's like, this is the most lighthearted track on the whole album. Yeah, yeah. And from a lot of reviews I read, people are saying, this is such a dark album, and there's a lot of, you know, heavy subject matter. But this song sticks out as like, here's Alice's old sense of humor coming back.
2: Exactly. You know? He wrote this, uh, great lyrics. Yeah. Finger, leg, and
0: good. Hey there! This is A.D. Cooper from Cooper's Carnival of Clean and Classic Cars. It's our 4th of July sale here at Cooper's Carnival of Clean and Classic Cars at the corner of Collins and Collins. I got a lot full of the finest one of the cars money can buy at the prices even you can afford. So come on down and say hello to me and Granny and bring the kids to meet my stay. I say bye.
2: Granny says bye. And the snake says
0: I love General Patton and World War II. My pocket fisherman and then my crazy glue. I love the thief and wallet too.
3: Was that anything that you guys felt like, okay, we got this album, and it's all these deep, heavy, you know, songs, we need something more like this, or was it more natural that it came together that way?
2: Well, it started by uh, Alice and I coming up with the song, and in the morning, Bob had this guy down there who was programmed in a fair light, and we started messing with the song, and then... It was the part where you had to have the Cowboys and the Indians. Yeah. yeah. Here yeah. they go. And that's all done on a synthesizer. Yeah, okay. There oh, they go. No. Here <laughs> yeah. they come. Here they go. Yeah. And then there's the, the guns go sales. Yeah. Then, yeah. And then, and
1: the, yeah, the blowout sale. Right? <laughs> and the snake says... <laughs> yeah. I love that.
2: <laughs> that was great. That was great.
1: You guys must have been laughing in the oh, studio you, when that was
2: crazy, good. man. It was just...
3: It was It was hilarious. This whole album just gives me a vibe that it must have been so much fun to create this without any kind of pressure, of saying, "Hey, this we, was the we best." To I just sit behind
2: it. the board, and you know, Bob was sometimes going, and I would do the production, and that's why I'm credited on it. Mm-hmm. But um, just sit there with my guitar and play all these tracks. It was just total freedom. Yeah, know? it's like a playground. Yeah. yeah. and it started that way with the actual writing of the songs right? you know we just let it go and come up with this kind of stuff I mean it doesn't make sense if you're trying to write a commercial album because it's just too too good and too out there Mm -hmm. you know
1: yeah well you got
3: expectations put on you then too you know where it's like hey we need two hit singles off this album you know who cares what the rest of it is but you gotta have those hit singles you know it feels like then you know commercial
2: writing is like you know I mean I hate it. I, I hate write, trying to write hits, well, even stifling when, even the when artist, I right? do once in a while. Right. Know? I hate thinking about that as a motivation. a to me, a hit is an album that that people love. Yeah, yeah. that's and how you have it. That's the hit. You know, it isn't like oh, I hit the top ten and I should get a gold record or none of that means anything. It's it's all there in the music. Yeah. You're going to see all those lyrics and hear that record and know that there's a lot of love and um, some deep thinking and deep feeling in it, putting it together. It's a masterpiece.
1: Yeah, and also like, who says I'm going to write a hit? It's not. It's, it's like it's not up to the artist. It's up to the public. Right. That's know? right. And the and like record companies forget that. Yeah. They're like, okay, we're going well, to manufacture. A songwriter, yeah. They come through and
3: have to pick one out, and they say, okay, this is going to be our sing- single, you know, or however yeah. you know, they work out and that for way. for a songwriter,
2: you know? see, it's like this: if, if you were writing for today's market, yeah, you write a song that is similar to this guy and that guy who just had a big hit, yeah. Okay, you write it. It's similar. It sounds like it's a hit. You get it recorded, you put it out. By the time you do, it's a year later. Right. Yeah. And the trend has changed. You're too yeah. far behind no, the so game. If, right. you're, if you're ever writing for the current market, you're always writing for the wrong purpose. Yeah. You have to write for you mm-hmm. what turns you on as an artist, what brings out your artwork. You know? Right. You have to be able to do that and forget about the current market and let the market come to you. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: So, but this was so. But this album is almost a passion project because it's it, it like, like let, it let's just get yeah. together and write what we want to write and screw right. the record company. We don't That's need right. it, right? So, um, what about what's going on with Fresh Blood? What, what's the story behind this song? Well,
2: it is about a vampire, you know. Okay. A vampire with a beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, Prakash came in on this one, and played bass, and I didn't play bass on this song. But he did. And yeah that amazing bass line. And that whole feel is uh, it's me and Ezra really, writing that feel. I thought the guitars I played on it were uh, really perfect, just a uh, light Fender sound, just uh, not trying to amaze anybody with anything, just something really simple in and out of there. Mm-hmm. And then a little Beatles uh, on that finger-picking thing from one of the Beatles songs. I didn't uh, pick up on that yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see what you're da, saying do, da, 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 da. What was that song? Yeah, I mean, it was one of the John Lennon songs I can't think of it right now But I, I did that kind of guitar part you know, I thought that was really cool And the rest of it, the guitar was real uh, Kind of ethereal but funky In the
0: mood, For somebody that's
2: right So that was like the overall production feel for that song. To have that kind of feel, and then Alice made up the, the vampires.
1: Right, the uh, the guy that had the whole theory on what the concept yeah. was. He's he's saying that it, like that. There's some of these songs are he because his theory on Scarlet and Sheba was Sonny finds two girls that are willing, has sex with them, then kills them, and. Uh, oh, you know, filled with, with lyrics about bondage and then Fresh Blood he says here's another murder song except on a larger scale detailing the hunger for blood and the ruthlessness and random, randomness of victims so he's making it out like a serial killer with multiple personalities is what the album is about I suppose
2: Huh? I suppose it could be but I guess this is what's I mean, great we, about albums yeah so. like an album like you can make it what you want it to be That's yeah, exactly yeah. That's, what does it that's, mean that's to you that's a good thought process I think that's it's an interesting idea yeah I mean you can take it that way and interpret it that way
3: Because ultimately anybody can do that with any song because, you know, what the artist may have written or had in mind when he created the song or the team created the song may not necessarily reflect that way exactly to the listener because every listener is an individual person with different perspectives on things. So it means a million different things to a million different people.
2: Yeah, that can be true. Unless, of course, you do a written experience too then it doesn't mean nothing to anyone. (laughs) Ooh, baby. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I love these interpretations from fans who... You're going to love the next one. Who take the time <laughs> to actually look into this and feel something from it. See, that's got to be about as, well, as
3: flattering as it gets. that say somebody Fantastic. took this and they took so to and they wrote a whole it. Book on it yeah, yeah,
1: this there's... guy wrote a long thing. And, so what's next? Okay, the last song on the album, Pass the Gun Around.
3: Love
2: it.
1: This is his interpretation. He says, here's our climatic ending in which comes a point of realization for Sonny. He sobers up and wakes up in a hotel room surrounded by the dead bodies of his killing spree. <laughs> He wants to kill himself and let everyone that that made him what he was get their shot at him. Pass the gun around, give everyone a shot, give everyone a shot, throw me in the local river, let me float away. Pass the gun around. extremely sad and heartfelt song as mentioned and then he says I mentioned above Alice's fight for his life are really present in these lyrics and you sympathize with him right well you do it with the alcoholism is, you do as amazing as this song is musically and lyrically this is a heartbreaking song to listen to when you think of what he was going through at that time. because this yeah. album pretty much sent him into he rematch. was
2: killing himself on alcohol. Right. did he realize it I mean or was he, he well, just he having a good time. It. it was funny, brought I mean he. He wasn't having a good time. He was having a bad time, and he was desperately drunk. And he had uh, this guy Landy, this the guy that treated Brian Wilson, yeah. the psychiatrist, traveling with him and feeding him pills. And he was drinking He had pills and he was drinking it. He was working with Alice. Yeah. He oh, went, I didn't know. We that. went to Australia and um, I had to call Shep and say, "You got to get this guy going." He's feeding Alice pills. Um, just trying to keep him sober to go on stage was, oh. it was almost impossible. and So he was desperate, you know, and they finally got him to go into rehab. And, of course, his life has completely changed now. Oh, yeah. He's, he's totally to straight. Yeah, he's and, doing great. And he's doing great. He's doing better than ever. And, and this song, passed and Go, that's exactly what it was. It was a, a cry out about... Dying from alcohol.
1: Yeah. Stuff. So this song is basically him realizing how real, bad the yeah, shape he was yeah, in. Yeah. Was this
2: written near the
1: end of the time you guys were doing the record? Yeah yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So things were coming to a head when this was made. Yeah. I
2: think that was like, you know the culmination of his real. Because he and I were talking every night. Mm-hmm. You know about his alcoholism, and how he was being treated by management and other people. And Uh, Just, you know, we really got in some in-depth conversations. I I I don't to repeat, but that song came out at the end of it. So you,
1: you, I mean, this was almost therapeutic for him to work through a lot of things. I think so. So it's an interesting album in that regard, too, because who knows? I mean, going through this process with you and all working these things out in his head could have been what saved him and got him to go into rehab and get cleaned up.
2: Might have, but have. Because I hurt
1: especially if he had the wrong influences around him, yeah. steering him the wrong way. Well That's, he'd
2: already been in rehab a couple of times. He'd right. been in point, rehab right? but but he because of going to Toronto and he didn't want to go. Yeah. He started drinking. Uh oh, yeah. So the old And he had stopped drinking by. for a little while. Mm. And he immediately started drinking. Right. And I gotta say I was probably supportive of it in a way because I drank with him. Right. But uh, but I was never really a drinker, so yeah. So the alcohol was—I I, want to say fun, but it was wasn't that much fun either. Was, you know, we, we were like drunk every day, right? Yeah. to fall into bed drunk, wake up drunk, and but then I got you know, Black Forest cakes. So. Yeah. So, so we, we created a lot at the time, even. There were no drugs. There was no cocaine around. I
1: was going to ask about that because I know the early 80s were difficult for Bob with a cocaine problem. No, I've heard well, numerous
2: stories about too. that. Yeah. Me too. So you know, the years of, yeah. of drug addiction. Right. And uh, What the heck are black forest cakes? It's a cake. It's a piece of cake. Black forest cakes. Chocolate and raspberry and something else. It's called black forest cake. I thought it was good. It's you know good. it be like? Black Forest Cake? No, I don't think so. Try I thought it. you were, like, we were talking it. about it, it was try like it. a name for hash or something. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. I had my Black no. Forest Cake, no. man. I was good. The no. no <laughs> Black Forest Cake, you gotta try it sometime. Huh. Well, I'm gonna have to. Yeah. Our listeners, listen Check out
1: Black Forest Cake. Before we get off past the gun around, I have to compliment you. This is one of the best guitar solos I've ever yeah.
2: heard. Yeah, for you. sure.
1: I, anytime somebody wants an example of a great solo, I play this. It's
2: great. It's it's one this. of your
1: best pieces of work.
2: I feel very good about it too. It was it was just great when I, when we got the, the delays set on it. Yeah. So it was just right. And it just it just builds it and builds.
1: Yeah, it's a real high point of the album. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's the nice. I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things on the side note. The um, you did this at partially at ESP Studios in Buttonville, Ontario. Um, there's a quote in here from a, a man named John Jones, one of the co-owners of the studio. Uh-huh. And I don't know if you've heard this or not, but this. let me just read you the quote. He says, I was a co-owner along with D-Long of the band Klaatu of ESP Studios in Buttonville. Alice was with us for over a month in the early 80s, and he and I spent many hours together hoping Bob would stay busy in the studio rather than come out to the front of the old barn and tear Alice's head off for not having a lyric ready that Bob liked Um, and he says many pages of very cool words were crumpled up and thrown in the bin and he says "It it was an insane time with many hours of grueling programming of the Fairlight CMI and he says that as it turned out when the album was delivered to WB they were not expecting them to record an album, they thought Bob and Alice would just take the budget and that would conclude the years of recording that he did with formerly Warner Brothers. Right. So, um, and then he said, Alice, Bob, and Dick were our first real clients in ESP Studio. They gave us credibility in the Toronto music business as well as teaching us all a million lessons in music recording and especially Alice's life. I haven't seen him since 1981 or so. When I lived in England, I tried to call him a number of times but never got through in my career in D's. We never forget the role of the three mad superstars played in our ever-evolving musical lives. So,
3: so you made an impact, that's yeah, for sure. I
1: thought that was a nice quote from yeah, you. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, so...
2: Um, wow, that was great.
1: Yeah, and then a, an interesting credit on the album is special thanks to Judge Joseph A. Wapner. <laughs> so was people cord, dun, dun, People's Court on quite a bit during people's the time? People's
2: <laughs> Court, it made everybody uh, has to stand when Judge, Judge Wapner <laughs> walked seriously? in. Seriously? Because he was always watching it, and if you were sitting there with him, Everybody had to stand. Wow.
1: <laughs>
3: dun, 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 dun. <laughs> well, I mean, his
2: involvement in television programs is like that.
1: I mean, is he pretty obsessive about stuff like obsessive that? Obsessive about stuff yeah. like that.
2: That's
3: funny, though. Yeah, yeah. but
2: funny. Yeah. Yeah, so, so.
1: Did Judge Wapner ever send a thank you card or anything?
3: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: jail
1: free
3: card, Anna. Yeah, but the- so when this album, I mean, it's wrapped up, it's done. You turn it over to Warner Brothers. You know, they're not going to do anything with it. Was yeah. there any thoughts or even plans of maybe
2: touring on this? No, never no. mentioned it. No, no. no.
3: So once this is wrapped up, then where does everybody go? I mean, Alice, what? He goes back to rehab one more time,
1: and
2: is that all? How- he did eventually go back to rehab. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: He left in Toronto and back to Phoenix, drinking. Right. And then they had to turn him around again. I forget whether we went to Australia after that or um, I don't know. They, we went to Australia when I was working on Mark Farner's album in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Was we producing his first solo album. I got a call. They wanted me to go to Australia with Alice. And I said I can't. I can't leave here. I'm finishing this project. Mm-hmm. So Shep called me up and he said, "I'll make you a deal. You can't refuse." And he gave me, like, an astronomical amount of money per yeah. day. Right. And I had only two days left on the mixes of, of Mark, so I hurried as fast as I could, 24 hours a day, working on that album right. finishing it. I finished it at 8 o'clock in the morning. I went to the airport and flew 40 hours oh. to Perth, Australia, to join them.
1: Was this for because said
2: he would not do this to him, uh-huh. unless I was there. Okay. So you guys were still able, I mean, it,
3: Dada wasn't a big hit in the United States, but it got some good attention in the U.K. Was it getting good attention in Australia, too? Is that I why you guys no. were able
2: to? I don't know, but we went for a tour there. We took Nightmare there again. Yeah, oh, okay. so you guys didn't play nothing off the
3: Dada album No, nothing's ever been played We never Dada. played anything live off Dada. Was there ever any discussion saying, hey, maybe we should put Scarlet and Sheba in the set? Or,
2: nothing like that no all that stuff about what they're going to do live takes place in other places yeah you know it has nothing to do with me yeah they just pay me I play guitar I'll do, do my, put on my best show do the best I can do and uh we go home you know it's a pretty cut and dried business
1: so like I said when you when you guys were putting it together you knew Warner was not going to push it so when it didn't do much, you probably like well, I'm not surprised anyway. Right, yeah. I wasn't
2: surprised. I did yeah. really There was bad blood at Warner Brothers, really. And so the record got done. The contract was fulfilled, and then Alice started doing stuff for other labels.
1: Yeah. And then did you stay in contact with him after that? I'm
2: still in contact. Oh,
1: I know you are now, but like during that comeback, Cause was this
2: your first like
3: last, or should say last
2: full album with Alice? I think for this is the last one. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember the sequence, but. Do you know the sequence? This was the last full one you did with him. Yeah, man. The last yeah. full one, and then it? you
1: came back to do help work on Brutal Planet.
2: No, I didn't work on. Brutal oh, I thought you
1: done oh, I'm thinking I'm wrong, Alvin. No, um, or was uh, it? Uh, no, you did. Hey, stupid! You did. Hey, stupid! Uh, and Might as well be a That's a great yeah. song.
2: Yeah, that was a good song. That started out. Of, I wrote that that melody in the first couple of verses as another whole song. that I had written. I wrote back in the, in the early '80s. Oh, really? I wrote that. I wrote that piece of music, the the, the, the melody and all, everything for it, mm-hmm. and then I brought it to Alice, and we turned it into might as well be a note. Well,
1: that's why when I hear when I first heard it, I was like, okay, this sounds like old school Alice on a you know on an album that sounded more new school. Because it stood out yeah. when I heard it, I was like, "This sounds like the classic." So it's one stuff. of our
2: best songs.
3: Yeah, because yeah, that, that album really does have a contemporary feel for the types of metal bands that were out at that time. Is that right? yeah. Except for that song, that song, that song, that song sounds, out. sounds like it would fit in more around this era yeah. than it did at yeah. what was yeah. going on at that time. Well, it's a great
1: melody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: So, yeah I wrote that, that whole opening. Uh, Taxi drivers swerving lane to lane. Yeah. Um, it was a part of another song that I wrote for my, for a girlfriend that was giving me a hard time. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> Do you yeah. find that
0: works
3: when your girlfriends giving you a hard time? You oh, write yeah. her a song, she
2: gets fuck off yes, your case. I write. <laughs> no, I just write good songs when I'm when you're pissed. Just, <laughs> either pissed or despondent. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't Depen- bring out the <laughs> You know, sometimes they break your heart when you write great songs. Sometimes they fuck around on you, you write great songs. Right. Yeah. Sometimes they piss you off and write great songs. So, my relationship with females is, it varies a little, you know, sometimes, right. sometimes I love them and I write great love songs, sometimes I, I fucking hate them. And, <laughs> I still write a great song. Because yeah. Just in a different <laughs> way. <laughs> I like the one
1: you did last night about messing around with another man's boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: that's a good, that's a good move. dick in the dirt. That was fantastic.
1: So, to, to wrap things up it seems like Dada is a, is a particularly special album to you it is yeah. it's
2: very special to me it's one, it's it was not my favorite I think it is my favorite Alice Cooper album yeah um, Nightmare also I mean you gotta right. love the, the thing that launches the whole sure. your whole career basically right um, I, I love Going to Hell too I think that's a good record yeah, yeah I like that one a lot I mean, yeah. what else did I do with it my Disney
1: from the inside
2: that is a classic yeah that I would say you could actually honestly put on the Beatles at Abbey Road mm-hmm. and play that right after it mm-hmm. and you'd have the same aura right it's that good mm-hmm. it really is that good absolutely that was with David Foster and uh, me and Alice and uh, who else is writing with us uh, Bernie Toppin
1: Bernie Toppin yeah uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, there's a. Like, how are you we, gonna yeah. see me now? That song, for instance. Right.
2: I was at the piano. Bernie and Alice walk in. With this lyric from "From the Inside," mm-hmm. and I just sat there and just read those lyrics and just that was it. it Was written like in ten minutes.
1: Yeah.
2: It just such a natural song. Wow. And uh, I knew that was a hit as soon as I was done. I was like, wow, this is the song.
1: Seems like the best stuff comes out that way, too. It's like, it
2: just comes out of me, you know. I, yeah. I can't explain it's it. Almost it's almost like just from that. some
1: different source bringing it out of you. It,
2: it. it is, sort of. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, kind of like a don't overthink it kind of a thing. Just I don't think about feeling. it at yeah. all. I just let it flow from my heart, whatever that is.
1: Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad we got to do this again with you. And uh, a few months ago, I sent you a message on Facebook, and... I had my fingers crossed and I was like you want to talk about Dada and you were like yeah it's one of my favorite albums I was like because <laughs> awesome. I was like because some people you don't know some people are like well, oh I wish yeah. I'd never done that album <laughs> you right, know, exactly.
2: so. no this no, I'm very proud of the Dada album good and, uh,
1: well I know a lot of uh, fans of yours and Alice Cooper are going to be happy to hear all these behind the scenes stories of thanks the for,
2: thanks for talking to me again oh. I enjoyed it I hope I didn't cry too much no but you, you made me tear up I well guess. I'm
1: well, I'm I'd say that's, the, that's the emotion that came out on the album, right?
2: I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it takes
3: an emotional person to be able to create this kind of stuff, you know, and, and it shows in you that you got so much love for the music and so much power in your creativity that, you know, whether it's live on a stage or, or yeah. creating in a studio, Dick, you've come up with some amazing stuff over the years, and you know, I speak on behalf of the fans of our show here. You know, we appreciate you and we thank you very much for all you've well, done. Well, thank you, absolutely. Thanks, man. Thank got you. it, man. Thanks,
1: oh, no problem. Thanks for I doing appreciate
2: this. Appreciate you more. guys. You guys are amazing. <laughs>